In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Matthew 5, verse 17. You may remember that this is the thesis of the sermon after he gives us the Beatitudes to invite us into the blessed life. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here's his thesis sentence, to put it in our vernacular. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And a collective gasp went around the crowd. He then gives us six examples from scripture of what greater righteousness looks like. The law said this, and he says, yes, and a greater form of this is this. For example, you shall not murder. Yeah, you should not murder, and you should not hate. This is greater righteousness. Then in verse 48, he concludes this section with this these words, 548. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. These are hard sayings. Your righteousness must exceed the righteous scribes and Pharisees. Yikes. So we immediately start thinking we have to do more works. <clears throat> you don't, but that's what you think. And then he, he, he cranks it up with his conclusion. Therefore, be perfect. So I want to address this because this either gives us all a bit of anxiety and we're like, ah, we can't do that. In fact, we've been told all our lives this is impossible. So we think he must mean something else. So that leads us to the other route of Jesus isn't saying what Jesus is saying. But then we have this cloudy fog and we're like, I don't know what he's saying. He's just not saying that. And it's a very awkward feeling. And I think the great majority of people just bypass all of that. They thought at one time, they're like, let's, we just don't think about it. We just move on to the easier parts of the Bible. Um, so talking about Christian perfection, is it possible? Or does Jesus mean something different than what we mean by perfection? So what I'm going to present to you is a perfect sermon. <laughs> yeah, right. See, though, what do you think when I say that? What is a perfect sermon? We have to understand what the Bible means by these things. It is a lie from the devil that we buy often, and I hear it from the pulpit often. It is a lie that we cannot keep God's commands. That's a lie. He wouldn't command it if we couldn't do it. That's not to say, though, that you will always keep all of his commands all the time. Even God knows that you won't. But you can and should strive to keep his commands. One of the worst teachings about grace is that grace basically just says, don't worry about it and give up. You're covered. Um, that's not to say, please don't mishear me. That's not to say that grace doesn't help us in our failures because it absolutely does. But what we're saying is that grace is not there to say, I'll live my life and grace covers the rest. Do you understand what salvation is? Salvation is our deliverance from sin. 
Salvation is our deliverance from the ways that we choose constantly that bind us and keep us and hold us back from the life and communion and fellowship of the triune God who's eternally happy and joyful with their fellowship. We were created to be in the midst of this communion, but our sin Cut, uh, it said, I'm going to choose life over here instead. And sin has forever kept us out of this joy, out of this blessedness. So Christ comes and says, no, 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 blessed are you if you start doing what I say, because this is the way back into the fellowship. There's a way you were made to live, and it's not so that you can make your way to heaven. You're asked to live this way because this is where God is. And if you want to be where God is, you go the direction where he's telling you to go. And so he gives us commands for the enlargement of our hearts, for the joy of our lives. And that's why he also gives us grace and the Holy Spirit to enable us to do the things he tells us to do so that we can live in his fellowship this is salvation this is what it's for it's not so that you don't go to hell it's so that you get to enjoy god now and forevermore so it's a lie to accept that you can't keep the commands it is just pure laziness that doesn't want you to live in the life christ came to give you don't shortchange him. He loves you too much. I feel like there's something else I want to say about that, but that's already more than I meant to say. So we'll move on. Um, so be perfect. <laughs> All right. So Jesus says, your righteousness must exceed the scribes and Pharisees. Do you remember this a couple of weeks ago? Um, that exceed does not mean more in measure like, I gotta do more. It, we, I think we often think of works and righteousness like, like stacking blocks. And some people have them stacked really high and they're really righteous. And some people stack them and then they crumble and they stack. It's like Jenga. It's just like, you're doing really well, then you sin and it all crumbles. And we think of righteousness in terms of like scale like that. This is not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, here's the scribe's righteousness and the Pharisee's righteousness, and yours must be three blocks higher, three extra deeds. Not at all what he's saying. We're talking about this way. Uh, we're talking about, not the way. Um, we're talking about a different form of righteousness altogether. See, the scribes and Pharisees, and, and most people who try to make you think about doing more good things, their method of that is that. Your righteousness is determined by how many good deeds you do. So you read your Bible today? Did you read your Bible today? Everyone's like, we just did. But before that, did you read your Bible today? Good. Righteousness points. Did you pray for somebody you said you'd pray for and you didn't forget to pray for them? Good. Righteousness points. Did you hold your mouth back when you thought you were going to cuss or swear at somebody or flip them off? Did you hold back? Good. Righteousness points. Um, right. This is how often we have baby talked the things of God. Okay. That's baby talk. That's scribes and Pharisee talk. And Jesus just said that the law was there for a reason, but I came to fulfill, not get rid of it. I came to grow it up into a higher form. So he's calling us to a higher style of righteousness, not check, check. I did this. I did that. Rather, your righteousness is not going to be merely external. I did these things. Your righteousness is also going to be who you are. That I am becoming a different creature who wants to do righteousness because I'm being made righteous. It's like, as Lewis said, it's the difference between taking a cloth and painting it, external coloring, versus taking a cloth and immersing it in dye. 
That's what Jesus wants us to become. That's a greater righteousness. Therefore, he says, you don't just, oh, I didn't murder. I'm doing good deeds. No, he says, don't murder and make sure your heart doesn't even have a disfavorable disposition towards someone. See, it's not just what we do and don't do. It's about we are actually becoming love. We're becoming the nature of God little by little. Now, that won't happen overnight. So don't despair if you see so much of sin and less of Christ. You will gradually grow more. And and part of the sermon will actually teach us how to get there. That starts next week. Jesus gives us actual practical practices, not to be too redundant, uh, practices, disciplines that we can perform to train the heart toward righteousness. You won't get there by sitting around saying, I'm waiting for God to do it. He gave us a path and he wants us to walk it. And when we walk it, every step will be a gradual increase in his nature dwelling within us. That's greater righteousness. Now, lest I've given the whole thing away already, that's also where we're going when he says, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If God is this, you shall be this. Why? Because Christ came to put God's nature, who he is, what he's like into the human nature. That's why he came. So he's not calling us too much to say, if God is like this, you should be like this. He remained fully divine as he took on a human body, which was 100% human, so that the human and the divine can be completely enmeshed in perfect union. That's what Christ was. He was on earth what we will become through the process of this life and eternity. That, brothers and sisters, is perfect. That's what we are made to become. In the meantime, therefore, we are to strive to be perfect on our way toward this goal. Now, that's a lot to take in. So I'll just pause a little bit. I'll take a sip of water because everyone has one more lingering question in their mind, at least one. Okay, so if I'm supposed to do this perfect thing now, I hate that idea and I'm with you. But you and I have come to use the word perfect in a completely different way than Jews in the first century used the word perfect. Imagine this. We got a translation issue here, right? Sometimes we choose a word that best corresponds to the Greek word used in the Bible. But sometimes the word we choose itself starts to change in its usage in our own day. So it's, it is the opinion of many scholars that this word perfect needs an update. The problem with a lot of Bible translations is that they honor the tradition of the translation, which itself is a virtuous thing. But so that also though means sometimes they're reluctant to change a word because the American populace that reads is like, oh, I hate how that reads because we all love to read the parts that are familiar, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. A lot of translations think that you should rather say one and only son. But ooh, when you recite that, it's going to grind against what you're familiar with, isn't it? No, it's begotten, not one and only. Anyway, I'm just making a point. So um, here's what we need to do. I'm going to give you guys three clarifications of what Jesus is not saying, or like at least how we should approach the text. Then we will talk about what he means by perfect. It's not that complicated. And then we will uh, have a vision, a grand vision from Gregory of Nyssa about what all this means for us. 
It's going to be exciting. So, number one. How are we supposed to read verse 48? You shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. First, that word therefore, verse 48, is a conclusion. You understand that, right? Therefore is usually concluding a whole argument. The question that Bible studiers ask is, what is therefore concluding? Most people have assumed that it's concluding verse 43 through 48 where he's saying that you shall love your neighbor and hate your you uh, hate your enemy by say do you love your enemies as well pray for them do good things for them he's concluding that section by saying therefore be perfect and so then what happens is your mindset goes to okay perfect means i have to perfectly love all people and only do nice things to nice people all the time. it kind of gets into this works concept um that's not what however as i've shown you guys it's not what therefore it's concluding Therefore, is concluding what Jesus began in verse 17. This idea of, I came to bring greater righteousness. Because I came to bring greater righteousness, you shall be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the first thing we need to see is that therefore is concluding everything he said up to this point, not just the few verses before it. That's one clarification. There's a big scope here. I almost, I tried math. Big scope here. Um, I'm trying to take care of my Bible spine because it's gotten delicate over the years. So I used to just like throw it around like that. But yeah, Um, sorry. Uh, My brain's fried, remember? (laughs) Number two, uh, second way to read this. Uh, We should not read verse 48 as an impossibility. Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we say, not capable. He means something like, just try to be moving on. Uh, no, actually, not at all what he's saying. Here's how C.S. Lewis himself puts it. He tackles this question in the book, Mere Christianity, which many Christians have read and everyone should read. And he says this about this passage. He says, the command, be perfect, is not idealistic gas. Hmm. I confess when I read Lewis saying this, I was like, oh, all the years, back when I read this, um, all the years I had always assumed that this was just an ideal statement. Ideally be perfect. Lewis is challenging us saying, no, that's not what he's saying. And then what he's about to say is going to blow your mind. So where you kind of have an exclamation point, what you're about to hear, just bookmark that because we'll conclude it at the end. (laughs) Be perfect is not idealistic guess, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He, God, is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. He said in the Bible that we were gods, lowercase g. That's Psalm 82. Uh, And he is going to make good his words. If we let him, for we can prevent him if we choose, If we let him, he will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a god or goddess, a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God, big G God, perfectly, although of course on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. What's he saying? 
Christ will transform us to such a degree that we begin to mirror God's own nature to such a degree uh, that we look just like him. To a smaller scale, of course. Okay. Then he finishes with this. The process will be long and in many parts very painful. Anybody been going through something painful? I know a couple people that are not here tonight because they're going through something very painful right now. It will be very painful, but that is what we are in for. Nothing less he meant what he said. Wait, what? Nothing less? Yeah, be ye perfect. Well, there's a King James for you. Be ye perfect for your heavenly father is perfect. He meant nothing less. This is actually God's goal for us is to make us reflecting him beautifully. Wow. Okay. So Lewis says, don't discount this as impossible. Rather, raise your expectations for what God wants to do in your life. Third way to read this uh, is that the word perfect is not a good word to use. That rather, and this is a, um, a lot of the following arguments now will follow J- J- uh, Jonathan Pennington's wonderful book, The Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you just want more on the Sermon on the Mount, his book is just worth every dollar. It is a little bit scholarly, so you have to be willing to read, but it is worth every dollar. Um, not every book I say is worth every dollar. Um, he, he, he contends that the word perfect here should be translated whole. You shall be whole as your heavenly father is whole. What does he mean? Well, the Pharisees and scribes whom we've contrasted to this whole call are not whole. They are righteous on the outside, but on the inside, they're not necessarily being changed because the law couldn't change the nature of the man. Only Christ can do that. This is why his law is greater than that. He changes us so that we become whole, so that we aren't just doing phony stuff on the outside, but what we are on the inside is being acted through our actions, and we are whole. We are who we say we are, and we're not less, and we're not more, and we do what we actually are. We are allowing God to work from the inside of us, outside of us. This is wholeness. There is integrity in the person. This is what he's calling us to be. What we usually live, though, we don't live whole, in, and we don't live in integrity. We tend to live in disintegration. I hope you understand. Disintegration is the reversal of integration. Integration and integrity are the same word. Sin disintegrates us. We're no longer an integral whole. We are split and shattered as sin comes and ruins and kills us. And sin makes us be like this and like that in different ways and areas. And we begin to react to different people and situations because sin has now controlled us. We become whatever sin tells us to be. And it is a big fat lie if you ever think that you are free when you're in sin. You are a puppet in sin. Only Christ makes us free. Only Christ gives us a will that is deliberated from the devil and from sin to do what we actually want to do. So we are not whole in sin. We are disintegrated. But in Christ... He integrates us into a wholeness. So we should read this as you shall be whole. Uh, whole also implies maturity versus morality. He's not saying you shall be perfect, like get all your moral deeds together. He's saying you shall be whole in the sense of a complete person that's grown up in his relationship with Christ. Okay. 
So generally speaking, this is what Christ is calling us to. Now, let's, let's dig in a little bit deeper to what, what he says here is just so brilliant. You might have noticed just reading the Sermon on the Mount, like it's a literary, just the way Jesus speaks this out, it's so symmetrical and ordered and balanced. And it's easy. Matthew is one of the easier gospels to memorize because it has order and structure. Matthew presents Jesus as the master teacher and and Matthew's laid out in a masterful teaching way. Um, So what Jesus does with this verse is when you read it in the Greek, it's incredible. So I'm going to show you this, and don't worry, you don't need an education on Greek or any other language to understand what I'm going to do, because it's going to be so blatantly obvious once you know the Greek. You'll be like, whoa, of course, wow, that's really cool. In other words, it's a really big play on words. Jesus is using a huge play on words here. (laughs) Uh, So what is this play on words? Matthew 5, 48, you shall be perfect, is a twist, a creative play on words from Leviticus. 19. So if you want, um, hold your place here and go to your left, very far to your left, to the third book of the Bible, Leviticus. Um, Leviticus 19. Now, the verse we're about to read in Leviticus 19 is actually repeated about five times throughout Leviticus, but this is just a good landing spot because Leviticus 19 also tells you to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's just a good place to familiarize yourself. Um, Leviticus 19. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for the Lord your God, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Okay, even in the English, you might be picking something up already. You shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Does this sound like an echo? Absolutely. Structurally, it's the same sentence. The words have changed, though. It's changed from holy to perfect. Okay. The word holiness, by the time Jesus is on earth has sort of perverted its original intent. Because the Pharisees were the holy ones. And so the people began to associate holiness with Phariseeism. What the Pharisees do is holiness. But actually, if you go back to the root of holiness, holiness is referring to wholeness. God was telling the Israelites, I want you to be whole, as I am whole, set apart for me. So, um, over time, holiness gets reduced to a form that it was not meant to be. Holiness is not, he's, you can tell that Jesus has been going through every effort possible to make sure we understand we are not called to be like the religious Pharisees. That's not our calling. So he is, he's not only said, be better than them in a totally different way, like in the Beatitudes, virtuous sort of way, inside and out wholeness. Then he goes through the scriptures and shows people might keep the law this way, but I'm asking you to keep it even more than that. Like he's going through pains and then he concludes, because he's going to move on to completely different things in chapter six. He concludes his whole segment by saying, be perfect. Okay, so they, they need a new vision for what God originally 
He's not changing stuff. He's not making stuff up. He originally called us to be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. But holy has been reduced. How do you help people to see holy for what it originally meant? You startle them by changing the wording a little bit. So what Jesus does is he um, uses the word perfect. Uh, Here's what you need to see. Do you guys know, by the way, the Greek word for holy? I know Cody does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you probably say it more Greek than I would, though. <laughs> it's uh, usually the way Westerners say is hagios. Um, and you got it, but there's a little rough accent mark on the A, so it's ha. That's how I've been told. Yeah, hagios. Um, um, now, Jesus and his... And the Israelites were reading Leviticus, not in the Hebrew. Okay, I understand we translate our Bibles from the Hebrew, but they were reading Leviticus in the Greek. So they would have read, You shall be hagios, for I, the Lord your God, am hagios. Okay? Hagios. Uh, now we come to Matthew 5, verse 48. He could have said, You therefore must be hagios, as your heavenly father is hagios. But that would have then instantly brought the Pharisees to their minds. And Jesus was calling us to a different way of life. So what does he do? He changes the word hagios to a slightly different word. The Greek for perfect is teleos. Teleos. So imagine this now. You hear Jesus say something. You hear him say, you shall be you're, you're used to hearing this. You shall be hagios as God is hagios. But then you hear Jesus say, you shall be teleos as God is teleos. And suddenly, your ears perk up because there's a twist on what was so familiar. The command to be holy was essential in the Old Testament. And suddenly Jesus says, teleos? Wait, what? And it makes people rethink. Wait a minute. Holiness is not like the Pharisees. Holiness is is teleos. It's it's perfect. It's wholeness. It's completeness. It's living toward what God has called us to be. Wait. And all of a sudden, suddenly what Jesus is calling us to is something incredibly liberating. We don't have to figure out or mastermind this is what perfection looks like. Because when I say I'm going to deliver a perfect sermon tonight, everyone has an image in their mind of what a perfect sermon is. Short, simple to understand, makes me feel good. Like, okay, so, um, and I failed and I failed and I failed. Um, but, but see, that's, that's, that's not, Oh, I lost my train, shoot. Um, that's not, we have an idea of what, shoot. Teleos, yeah, perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So he could have said, um, yeah, if he said hagios, they would have thought, oh, the Pharisees, we've got to get, oh, yeah, that was it. Perfection is not getting our ducks in order and making sure we have all the right amount of deeds put in line. And, like, this is the master plan to perfection. This is what perfection looks like. Because, like I said, with the sermon, we can have a vision of what perfection looks like. That's not what he's saying. He's completely liberated it. So he's not saying that Rhonda and David and Jim must have this complete, perfect, like, follow the steps as I give them to you. That's a perfect life. Jesus is liberating us from all that rubbish and saying perfect is letting God form the person he made you to be organically from the Spirit's work inside of you and coming, making you grow up into who he calls you to be. So as um, Nicelle prayed at our Thanksgiving actually quite spot on and beautifully. God has an individual growth plan for you. 
Cody's growth plan is not Brandon's growth plan, and Brittany's is not Michael's. So the fault of the church it historically um, has been you must do these things to grow in holiness. You must fast on these days. You must pray these prayers. You must use these words or dress this way or not go to these shows. Or um, Now, their intention in those commands was absolutely good. It was to try to help people give them guidance. But what happens is over time, we set a standard and then we begin to measure people by the standard. And now you're not holy if you don't do these things. That's been the fault of the church for like 2,000 years. Um, what Jesus wants us to do is remove that standard and we each have an individual standard. Now, this is not relativism. It's not... Well, my standard is what I want it to be because Sam is just too crazy. Like, I am not going to the sedan. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's not what we're doing here. What we're doing is we are allowing God to work with each of us as persons he created. So should we pray? In two weeks, Jesus will tell you, yeah, when you pray, like, I am expecting you to pray. But do you have to pray the way Brandon tells you to pray? Part of teleos, part of perfect, part of wholeness is that God will show you how you need to pray to grow into his image. Um, but that requires a lot of res- adult responsibility of us. Because it means that we must be sensitive to what he's saying and correct ourselves when we are not living up to what he's calling us to. It's our conscience. If God is pressing on your heart to pray longer and you don't, you have rejected his personalized plan for your holiness. But if we do, he's going to say, all right, more of my nature is in you. Let's see what's next. He might even say, you're praying too much and you're too proud for it, so I want you to cut it in half. Right? It's not always about more. It's about listening to his personal plan for your holiness. Does he expect you to fast? Yeah, in a few more weeks, you'll hear that one too. But it doesn't mean that your fast is... I'm running out of names. Well, I know you don't fast. I'm not just kidding. (laughs) It's not William's. Like, your fast does not have to be William's fast. And because you fast differently than William, William has no right to say... Well, at least I actually fast, or at least I'm holy. Like, see, this is Phariseeism. So what Jesus has done by transferring hagios to telios, holiness to perfect, is he's actually liberated us from such a system. This is wholeness. This is maturity. This is what it looks like to grow up and why his law is better than Moses' law. Um, well, a concluding, no, sorry, I shouldn't say that. You get your hopes up. Um, <laughs> an image to, to conclude this part and then the final, how, what does this mean for us? Vision. <laughs> uh, so here's the vision I have, um, is you've got, you're in a room and you're looking out a window. It doesn't matter what's out the window, whatever pleases your eye, a majestic mountain, a calm lake a tree full of fruit, whatever it is. And you're looking out the window. That is 
um, you're seeing, right? The purpose of the window is to transfer your vision from being locked in this room to the freedom of what's out there, to see what's real, okay? So in our sin, we live in a windowless room. We are in a jail cell. What God does is he opens this up for us, and gradually he wants to get us outside. But it starts with opening a window. Hey, look. Okay, so the purpose of this window is to see something. But what ends up happening over time as we stop letting God personally lead us and grow us and challenge us, because by the way, if you're following God's personal growth plan for you, you should see progress, okay? You should be growing instead of just, oh, this is what he told me to do. I've been doing it for 20 years, and I'm, um, I think God's wanting you to become like him. But anyways, um, it starts with the window, and you're supposed to see through it. But what happens over time is we start focusing on the window itself, and we start saying, wait a minute, Addie threw a ball against the window and now I see Spalding across the glass. And so we get, and we start, <laughs> he denies it. Uh, we start rubbing the glass clean. Um, what? Avalyn drew a target on the window. Uh, I got to clean that off. And then it's, oh man, Aquila was here and he smudged his hands and face on it and we got to clean it. And then it's, oh, there was a hurricane. There's hard water marks on it now. We got to clean it. And, and over time, you get so obsessed with keeping the window clean, you forgot what the window is for. You forgot to see God through the window. This is the difference between the Pharisees who are trying to keep the system clean and make everybody making sure they're keeping it spotless versus what Jesus is calling to in his term of perfection, teleos, grow up, be whole, is he's saying stop rubbing the window and start looking through the window. And maybe in five years you'll be on the other side of the window and up that mountain. And that's what that's the difference. Some of us are visual imagery. So there you go. There's an image. Um, okay, I hope this has enthralled you with what God wants in your life as he pulls you into his life. We don't even know what it's like to live until we get one step closer into that life. Uh, it's, it's enthralling. And here's what we need to understand is that God, to summarize, God's goal for us is not that we keep rules, a perverted form of holiness, God's goal for us is that we grow, not keep, but grow. Keeping is static. Growing is dynamic. That we grow in his nature. That's his goal. And that's why he calls us to this verse in verse 48. This growth into his nature is by nature or by definition limitless point to a man no matter how wonderful you think they are or a woman no matter how holy you think they are and tell me that they have attained god's nature why not why did you chuckle why not can't that exist this is where we get messed up and we say no of course we can't do that it's impossible so then we just say why even try no, no, what we need to understand is it's impossible to attain all of God's nature because his nature is limitless. He's infinite and uncreated. So if I began to grow into his nature, 
I will keep growing into his nature. And in a thousand years, if I'm still on that trajectory, I will keep growing in his nature. And yes, there will be a different Brandon from beginning to this point, but Brandon will never quite arrive because I will never become God. Which is where Lewis, you can't get confused here. When Lewis was saying he will make us gods, he was using little g. Because we will be so much in his nature that it will be like your God, but you will never reach him because you're still a creature. You're still created. You're still human. But you're taking on his properties and his nature more and more. Um, uh, St. John of Damascus used an analogy of, of iron in a fire. Uh, like a blacksmith, as you're trying to shape the iron, you will heat that iron in the fire till it's red hot, right? That's where we get the phrase, red hot. You pull that iron out, and what's, what's it doing on the end? It's glowing with fire, but not j- it's not like a match, where it's just a fire on the outside of it. The iron has actually taken the nature of fire into itself. Do you know what I mean? The iron has become fire from the outside in, so that it is taken on fire, but here's, here's the nuance that John points out. Has the iron stopped being iron? And so it is with us. As we grow in the divine nature, we take on his nature without ceasing to be human. So that we are like iron, hot through and through with the divine glory. That's what we're called to. And so, brothers and sisters, this not only just starts right now, today, or at your salvation, of course, and then continuing on. But you have the rest of your life to take on more of that fire. And from there, you have eternity to do so without restriction. Because there will be no more sin. My personal belief, so footnote this as Brandon's opinion, um, is that the rapidity with which we experience this in eternity It's determined by the progress we make on earth. So if you hunger for a lot, then in heaven you're going to get a lot. If you hunger for a little, then you'll be growing a little in heaven. But still, we'll all be making uninhibited progress. It's just a matter of how much we can handle at a time. I want to train my soul to take the whole thing, you know. I want to have my cake and eat it too, if they say. Um, so here we go. We'll finish with Gregory of Nyssa. Here's what he's going to say. He's going to say that God created the human nature to change. He made us to be changeable. Adam and Eve weren't created in a static state. They are created in a dynamic state. That's why there's two trees. You're either going to grow more like the devil or you're going to grow more like God. They were not perfect in our old school before the sermon use of the word. They were perfectable. Make sense? Um, So we were created this way. So so that's how he's going to start. He says, it's impossible for our nature ever to stop moving, stop changing, stop growing. It has been made by its creator ever to keep changing. Hence, When we prevent it from using its energy, our nature's energy, on trifles and keep it on all sides from doing what it should not, so if you protect yourself from sin, then your nature will necessarily move in a straight path towards the truth, towards God. We were created to grow into God's likeness. Remove sin and your nature will continually do that. Even now, the problem is we beset ourselves with sin. Okay, Then, coming from another source, um, saying a similar thing, what he's now going to say is what I've already given you guys the vision of. You have limitless growth in the divine nature. 
Thus, in a certain sense, our humanity is constantly being created because it's ever-changing for the better in its growth and perfection. Along these lines, no limit can be envisaged, nor can its progressive growth and perfection be limited by any term. In this way, in its state of perfection, now notice how he uses the word perfection here, the ability to keep growing into God's likeness without hindrance, right? This, this constant movement toward him. In this way, in its state of perfection, no matter how great or how perfect it may be, it is merely the beginning of a greater and superior stage. Now, I understand. I read that like 20 times over the course of my life, so I, I'll help distill this a little bit. Your nature is going to keep growing. The question is, where is it going to keep growing? If you remove sin, it will grow more and more like God because it is made to grow like God. This week, in the beginning, God made us in his image, in his likeness. We were made to grow to be like God. Now, if we take away the sin and you have this unrestricted growth in him like eternity will be, you're going to keep on moving toward that divine nature and nothing will stop it. And it will never come to an end. That's why he says, "You will, uh, no matter how perfect you may be, it is only the beginning of a greater and superior stage. So a million years of Brandon on the right trajectory... And then, you know, if, you, if we looked at the difference, we'd be like, whoa, he is literally divine in, in comparison to the sinner he was here. But, 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 as we're standing in Brandon's shoes a million years from there, we'll be, he'll be looking at the divine nature and saying, I have only begun. <laughs> I have only begun. The, the, the possibilities of what God has created us to become is limitless. This is why we have eternal life. Life is progression. The minute you stop growing, you've died. You understand that? So this is eternal life and it doesn't end because there's no end to the growth and the progress and the perfection. This is beautiful. So I said, I would just leave you with a vision for how, what this means for us. And by God's grace, may we be stoked not in the surfer terminology, but the fire terminology too. Be stoked uh, to to desire him and, and orient our lives Christologically around our Savior. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever and to ages of ages. Amen.